0: Right. The prayer always brings them in. The flood comes in after the prayer. I like that. I'm going to wait because they're coming. Kids today are just going to be gazing out into the yard. Look, they're already getting ready to set up. The inflatables were out there. The kids are like, <laughs> the adults might be doing that too. Huh? Is it all? Thanks, man. All right, so we are in this last portion of talking about the church today, and it's um, it's going to take three weeks and then we will be wrapping this up and then uh, in the four weeks from now, so we got three weeks left of this part of the class. In four weeks, we are going to start talking seriously about uh, how we as individual members here get involved in the church and where our opportunities are, how we discern our abilities and gifts, talents, um, where we can find opportunities to get involved. And so we'll be doing that in starting in four weeks We've got three weeks we're going to talk about what we're calling as the mission of the church. And so far, here's kind of what we've done. From all the way back in January, I just want to reset your mind just for a second. Number one, we have positioned this belief and we continue to set it forth before you. Uh, There's a fuller treatment of this um, uh, we can do later if you have questions about it. But number one is this, that all Christians, all people created by God were designed by him originally To live a life, a lifestyle that is outward focused, that is love of God and love of others, not love of self. And so we believe from Scripture that all Christians are then saved back to that relationship with God and then also gifted for what we're calling a lifestyle, a life of ministry, a lifestyle of ministry. And as we said last week, a life of ministry doesn't mean you do ten things. We're going to add an eleventh thing called ministry to your life. A life of ministry is within those 10 things that you do, you bring a heart, a mind, a spirit of ministry to those things. That's what a life of ministry means. And so we believe, number one, that all Christians are saved and gifted for a life of ministry. The second thing we believe is this that ministry is discovered and done in the church. And, you know, we've got to give a caveat to the phrase in the church. We don't mean only within the walls of the church building nor do we mean only um, when told what to do by a leader of the church. That's not what we mean when we say in the church. In the church, the phrase of in the church means where you are. Um, and so a lifestyle of ministry is developed within the confines, the grouping of the church. And that's why we spent um, so much time talking about it. And that we believe that for two reasons. Number one, uh, it's in the church that if you will faithfully engage the church, you will discover the real you. Um, it's in the church that you are told what is true about God. This is all in the positive version. You know, I know there are negative forms of how people do church. I'm not disregarding that, but, but let me give you just the positive, how it's supposed to be version. In the church, you are supposed to learn the truth about who God is, and you were made in His image, so when you learn who God is, you begin to learn who you are. It's in the church where you have accountable faithful community or relationships, so in these relationships um, your best version of you will come to the surface, but also some of the things that need to grow, some, some of the things that are not good in you will come to the surface in relationships. Anybody who's been in a family long, long enough knows that you will laugh together, but you will also fight together. Uh, you will bump into each other if you spend enough time with people, and when we do that what still needs to grow in us comes to the surface. And if we won't run from those opportunities and if we won't, uh, when things like that come to the surface, just blame people and run and hide and, you know, uh, uh, you know, not take any ownership. But when our, let's say, rough things come to the surface, we have the opportunity to become the best version of us. That happens in the church. Number two, um, in the church is where we join together with other members of the body to accomplish a bigger task than you can on your own. That's really what the mission of God really is about. And so we spent time already this section talking about the nature, of the structure, and the mission of the church. Quickly, remember the nature of the church, uh, the nature, what the, the essence of what the church is. It's, there's a lot of things. We we listed probably 15 at the beginning of the class. Um, the church is like the vineyard. It's like sh- you know sheep with a shepherd. There's a lot of uh, parables that the Bible uses to describe what the people of God are like. For the sake of talking about a life of ministry, we talked about two. The nature of the church is like a temple. So the church is like, not not the building, but the church is like the temple. And it's in the temple where service to God and worship to God takes place. Um, And so you and I are the priests now in the New Testament. And we worship and serve God uh, in this temple. It's also like a body, meaning we all have many different parts. And all of those parts have to come together to make one unified body. And so um, you and I are part of one singular body, which is called the church, where we come together and serve uh, God as a life of ministry. And then we just finished up this, this section here. We, we finished this. So we talked about the nature of the church. If we believe uh, that the church is where you, where ministry is done... Uh, the church is like a temple. It's like a body. The structure of the church is this. The head of the church is Christ. And when we say the headship of Christ, does anybody remember the four thing, one of the four things that is involved when we say Jesus is our head? There are four main things he provides for us as a head. Let's see if anybody can remember any of them. When you, when you say Jesus is the head of the church, he's my head, what does that mean? So So leadership, right? Yeah. Anybody else? You personally, if Jesus is your head, what is he? Worship, right? Okay. Lordship, yes, yes, lordship. I mean, he he governs us, right? We submit to him. That uh, authority is one. I think authority is one of the words. Um, What's that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can I can I modify that word to this word to say he provides direction? Yeah, we go where the head goes. Right. Uh, Our head directs our body. It leads our body. So uh, that that place in Luke chapter nine, where it says Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, what it means is where he pointed his head. That's where his body was going to go. So Jesus is, yes, the authority, but he also directs the church. How about source of life? Remember that one? that the head is the source of life. Um, And Jesus is the source of our life. And last, the the fourth one was he's, he's our unity. Jesus is our unity. So if we all are as individual body parts, you know, pinky, arm, leg, if we all are connected to the head, that means we are unified in the body. And so Jesus is our head. The local church has oversight and shepherding provided by a body of elders, the gospel, the message of Jesus and his saving work is proclaimed and applied by all, but specifically vocationally by evangelists. And these are supported by men who are called out as deacons to serve the local body so that, so that, remember this, so we talked about Christ, elders, evangelists, deacons, all of that and the church leadership is so that all members can be equipped, prepared for ministry. And that's where we finished last week. That the whole structure of the church being put together the way that it is, and it's incredibly simple, but uh, it, it should have integrity, is this. So that every member, whether you are a church leader or not, can be equipped. That means um, patch what is broken and supply what is needed. Can be equipped so that they can live a life of ministry and service To others, to the world, to those around them. So, okay. This leaves us with some really important questions. I'm going to give you, I'm going to put these questions up. Today's going to be a little bit more interactive, okay? Less lecture. I know I've done a lot of that. But a little bit more interactive. This leaves us with some important questions. Questions like this. So if ministry is supposed to happen in the church, and we're all supposed to engage in ministry, be life of ministers. What's the purpose of the mission of all of us ministering? Like, what's the end goal? What is the ministry effort of each engaged member of the body intended to serve? Like, What's the outcome? If we have this core belief back here as uh, elders, evangelists, teachers saying, hey, all members gifted, saved and gifted to serve. Service is supposed to happen in the church, a life of ministry. We all should be doing this. This is what the church is for, Right. What's the intended outcome? And at the end of the day, how will we know if our congregation did what it was supposed to do? So all these things, you know, everybody in here, we believe every individual has talents, gifts, and abilities that can be contributed to the one body that's trying to do something. At the end of our lifetime, at this generation's lifetime, how will we know that this church did what it was supposed to do? How will we know? I'm gonna give you two minutes to think about that. It's a pretty big question and then we'll, uh, 120 seconds is a long time when you stand up here, so. Think about those three questions. got Keith? We should do that. <laughs> okay. Keith continued prodding here. He said, if we use scripture, we'll be able to look back and lay scripture on top of our lives and see where it lines up, so to speak. Right. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So what are some of those scriptures say then? Go out to all the world. Everybody okay with that? Spread the gospel. Anybody else? Have, Bill? Christ is to be glorified. So if Christ is magnified, glorified, yeah, that, that's an end. That's good. Say that again, Dakota. Yeah, right? It's, it's very interesting to me. Uh, um, the one F word, good F word, that um, Christians say that we ought to be is faithful. But you know, Jesus is pretty serious about another F word. He says fruitful buy to me, you will bear fruit. Yeah, he, um, sometimes we, we use the word faithful as a means by which we draw back into just conserve what I'm supposed to hold on to and don't, don't mess with anything, right? I'm just, I'm just faithful. I haven't broken anything. And Jesus also says we're supposed to be fruitful. That's good. Anybody else? Harold, that's a good question. You want to hear something I just learned last week? Every week, one Church of Christ in America is closing its doors every week. 52 a year. 200 members 200 members a week. That, that's the statistics right now. And those of us in this area have seen within how many mile radius is Bremen from here? What, like 20 miles? It's, it's not that far from us, right? So that's, that, that's not just some random statistic from some other state. That, it's real, right? So is it still here? That's a good question. Those are all tying in together, fruitful. Yeah, Anna? Is it vibrant, right? Is it active? Is it alive? Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? Is it, is it? yeah, okay? See, these are important questions that we've got to think about because, like, like, we have little children there that might actually stay here and live in this community after they grow up. But wouldn't it be great if there was a legacy that, that we didn't just have a church for a generation, but it had generational sustainability. Alright, anybody else? All of this stuff that the elders are, you know, stoking the flame to say, hey, everybody here, gifted, talented, ability, let's life of ministry, let's serve, let's get our eyes off of ourselves, let's be so full of the love of God that we don't love other people. So what? For, for what reason? We've said a lot of things like that we exist, that we're still true, that we're fruitful, that we're going out in the world making, right? It, hey, Greg? right. To, to care for those with desperate felt needs, always, right? Absolutely. Okay. Let me let's let's read these four together. Uh, we'll spread them out and then we'll read them back to back. So who's got them? All right, so Robbie's got Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Don't raise your hand again, called on. Let's go. If you smile, then you're definitely going to... Okay, Tanner's got you smiling. Tanner's got Mark 16, 15 and 16. Tanya's smiling too. She's got Luke 24, 45 through 48. One more, Sam's smiling too. He's got the easy one, Acts one <laughs> He waited to smile. That's good. Keep smiling. I'll give Leviticus out in a minute. <laughs> All right. Let's rattle a few of these off. Robbie, nice and loud for us. Samuel. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, all four of those passages are actually the same event, same time. This is just before Jesus ascends back to be with the Father. And four different Variations may, may have been said at different moments in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. But most believe that this is coming to the moment where he is ready to leave. And he leaves them with his final charge. How would you describe it? What is it? Go what? Spread the word. and, and That's right. It's not, is it? Keep easy. How, how about this? Let me, let me try it. Make disciples this is the one that Robbie read. And the reason I added the second word there, mature, is because the word make doesn't just mean create new. Um, so, so we think, uh, yeah, go ahead. That's right. That's right. And if you wanted to be brought in and you weren't born into that, you had to like come into inside of it, right? That's it, It's a complete reversal of the process, which is, you know, you come inside of this thing and then you can be part of what, a, what you go from a larger to a smaller, right? And he was saying, go out into and make more. Um, so we could say it this way. We, we had Harold say that we're still existing, that we're still true, that we're fruitful, that we're going out. Like All of that is encompassing this idea that the single con- the, the, the mission is that we would make and then mature people as disciples. And in doing so, we'll magnify Christ. And when people are maturing as disciples, they will care for those in the world that have serious felt needs in the hopes that they might bring them to Christ as well. And Keith said it just a moment ago, it's, it's really not that complicated, is it? That's right. I appreciate that point. Now, for the remainder of our time this morning, here's something we have to think about. This actually demands that we back up one step. Now, most of you in here probably don't need to do this step. But I don't want to leave anything to assumption. Uh, What I mean is I actually want us to be thoughtful and empowered on this question of why actually... um, Let me me just ask the question. If we believe our mission, you know, like all of us should be living a life of ministry, working together as a body, contributing to things, being links in the chain of the message of the gospel, being spread together as we work together for that so that we make and mature disciples so that people will come closer to Jesus Christ. I think all of us in here can, by assumption, agree that that's a valuable thing, Right? Even if we haven't explicitly understood it, I think most of us in here who have grown up in church get embedded into us early that Jesus is valuable. That that knowing Jesus is valuable, that that praising Jesus is valuable, that being collected with a group of people that honor Jesus is valuable. But, you know, increasingly in our culture, more and more people are asking the question, is is Jesus actually even valuable? Is, Is it worth it? So all of us might, in this room, agree, you should be a disciple. And we should make disciples. But I think we're at a place in our culture, in our time, in our world, where we as believers have to be able to answer questions deeper than just, uh, yeah, you should be a Christian. Because there are a vast amount of people saying, why? Why? And, um, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago in our culture... Most people were going to be Christian. They were just deciding what kind of Christian, you know. <laughs> Should I be a Presbyterian, a Methodist, Baptist, Church of Christ? Like, people were, that, that's what most people were doing about 50 years ago. It, your neighbor wasn't, most, for the most part, was going to be a Christian. It was really the responsibility 50 year, years ago was clarifying some doctrine to, to help them get on the right path, the true path, right? Well, now, in our culture, it's not just a given that everybody's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? Jesus is valuable. I should, I should be his disciple. Which one, which kind should I be? Now it's this question. Why should a person even be a disciple of Jesus? Why? So I'm going to give you another minute to think about this. We're going to walk through some thoughts. we will have some scriptures. Don't smile. Um, but before we do, just take just a minute. You don't even have to answer if you don't want, but just think. Is it valuable? Is it worth it to be a disciple of Jesus? And we have, to, we have to answer this question because our mission is go make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And a vast amount of people in this world are going to step back and say, but why should I even do that? Okay, so, so I'll give you a minute. You think about it. Yep let people let people marinate for just a second just to think about it Okay, Don's chomping at the bit. You guys ready to hear, Don? Yes, sir. I don't want to be a disciple of Jesus, but that's my hope of eternal salvation. Okay, so Don's answer is, he's concluded it's his only hope for eternal salvation. Tim? So uh, Tim is scratching at a universal human itch, the desire to be loved, right? We we all agree that's universal, the desire to be loved. And um, one of the great, magnificent concepts of Jesus Christ is there is no greater demonstration of love. You, You know, this is actually what's driving humanity. The lack, the starvation of love. And so, what drives humanity is they have to do things that are impressive enough, they have to be impressive enough to receive what we oftentimes substitute for love is just, you know, praise. People saying good job. You know, we take that as a sort of a cheap substitute for love. Yeah. Or you don't. Accept or reject. Yeah, the, the, the choice of not being a disciple of Jesus yeah. as, as being the truth is just, yeah. why would anybody want to choose that? So, that so good. Clay is, Clay is also scratching another universal itch. What you're going to find is as we answer this question, there's universal desires of humanity that we're touching on. That we actually all desire for there to be objective reality outside of us. We hate subjective reality. Now, now, we like to practice subjectivism. We love that, right? So I want you to be wrong, but me not to be wrong. You know, I want to hold, I want other people to be held accountable, but not me. Um, what's popular today is, the, the, you know, the phrase, like, can't we all just kind of get along? and what, You do what's right for you, and I'll do what's right for me. But we don't like that the moment it interferes with someone we love, our family, or ourselves. We don't like that. We, we don't. You know, people say, like, like with regards to the marriage issue that's going on today, well, I don't care what happens in people's bedrooms. Well, you do. Once it crosses a certain threshold for you, you do care. Am I right? If it crosses a certain threshold, everybody cares. So you do care. And what Clay is saying is this is what Christianity offers you it's not a buffet of teachings. Well, there's teachings in the Bible, it's not a buffet of teachings. Every other religion says, compare what I teach about how to live and see if you like it. Buddha, Confucianism, all they all do that. Jesus says, Listen, look at me and decide if you think I'm God or not God. And that makes it very stark. Yes or no? Okay, so so he has bold truth claims that we have to square up with. That's a viable reason. Jason? Well self examine, you tell me. I mean because good, well, because I have dropped are you great? Alright, really are you see are you are you feeling the itch he's scratching there? <laughs> Did you guys hear what Jason said? Uh, he he's using the, the adage that a lot of uh, you know a lot of youngsters experience, right, which is engaging in Christianity at this point in my life will be restricting. It will prevent me from pleasure, from joy. It, it, it is restrictive of me enjoying my life. And in fact, the, the opposite is absolutely true. I always point this out to young people. In the Garden of Eden, how many trees were they not allowed to eat? You tell me. How many trees were they allowed to eat? Do you know? <laughs> Who's more restricting, Satan or God? Tell me, right? now. Who will suffocate your life quicker, God or Satan? So it is, a fundamental, it is a fundamental lie that being a disciple of Jesus will restrict my joy, my pleasure, my satisfaction, all of those things. That's why people look at Christianity and say, I don't like its sexual ethic. I want to have a looser sexual life. I don't like its social ethics. I want to have a, you know, a, a more broad, engaging, indulgent lifestyle because I want to enjoy myself. What the Bible is saying, listen you are like a child playing in the mud not knowing that the beach is right across the street. Fooling around with sex and drink and all that is, is like a child sitting in a mud puddle being like, man, oh, this is so much fun. and The ocean is right across the street. That, that's the, so when I say be a disciple of Jesus, I'm saying there's infinite pleasure, infinite joy that is beyond a, you know, promiscuous sexual behavior and drinking. Yeah, Go ahead, go. Ahead. Yes. Yep. That's right. The, the, the Greek word is zoe, Z-O-E, which is the fullness of life. That's what the Bible says. You have been, uh, Ephesians 4 says you've been alienated, separated from the zoe, the fullness of life. So, so to step out of that is actually to, put, to restrict yourself. That's right. Okay, so Andy is also scratching at a universal itch. We long to know where we came from. And what's very interesting about that desire is, um, you know, why do people long so bad to know where they came from? Even if they know their biological parents, they still like, you know, like Ancestry.com is popular, right? Because we like to know where we came from. And one of the most powerful things about where you came from is this. We believe where we came from determines where we're going. Jesus said, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And, and um, one of the great illogical conclusions that a lot of uh, people who don't believe in, in God make is this, that I have an end that does not connect with my beginning. My beginning is, you know, meaningless, purposeful, purposelessness. That, did I do that one right? Purposeless? Whatever. Without purpose. Um, my, my beginning does not have a purpose but my end will. And those two things don't link together. Yeah, Rick and then. That's right. <laughs> Look at humanity begging for legacy. Like, why do we care? Like, why is it in us to care about, like, what I'll leave for my grandchildren? Or the kind of name that I have when I when I pass from this earth. Why do we care about that? What drives humanity to care about things like legacy and how many? Else? Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I look back at those that shared the gospel with me, and I'm sure that was their goal mm-hmm. as a disciple to have the opportunity to share God's word with somebody so mm-hmm. that they can take it from darkness to light. That's right. So that's kind of how I look at it. That's why I want to be a disciple. Out of gratitude, right? Yeah. That's great. That's absolutely great. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to, you, but, but here's the deal. That, that's good. That That is the lightning rod of Christianity. I'm sorry. I'll say, I think it's the lightning rod of the world. That when people are presented with, uh, it's interesting story. Uh, this past week, I met with two people who um, believe in low-level demons and have some issues. And like, you know, the girl had a mysterious bruise on her body and, they were, they, they were having a Wiccan priest come and burn sage in their house to get rid of this spirit. Yeah, this is real. And, um, and they go, you know, it's kind of weird for us because we tell our friends and they, they agree with this, but like to tell a pastor is kind of weird. You know, like, like we feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm like, listen, I spend my life telling people that a guy was dead and he's now alive. Like, like I'm not weirded out by weird things. You know, like, like people think that's weird. And my point is this, Anna that we sometimes domesticate the message of the gospel that it's like it's the best way to have an American family, just be a Christian. No, no. A guy was God, and he died. And he came back to life three days later. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected to a new body that was eternal. And we believe he now is alive as the God-man mediator at the right hand of God. We believe that. So I was trying to put them at ease that I do believe in a power bigger than us. It, the story ended with me telling them that even if you believe in low-level demons, which is okay, do you believe there's a power that those demons report to, and that's the, who do you appeal to to solve that problem? And so I want them to appeal to God, and we'll get there. But anyway, that's how the story goes. Um, okay, so so we've got to decide what we think about Jesus, right? Yeah. All right. Let me give you a few scriptures, and then yeah. All right. Smiling. Susan, John 10, 10. Man, you look stone faced now. Marty, you got a smile. All right, there you go. Ephesians 4, 18. Uh, Richie, half smile. Oh, there it is. All right. Matthew 22, 36 to 41. You got the big one, man. You got to handle it. All right, Susan, when you're ready, John 10:10 10, 10 for the crowd. Okay, the promise of Jesus. I've come that you might have abundant life. Abundant life. Everything to the fullness, right, Jason? Uh, feet, Marty? Yep. There we go. There's a problem. So, so we're going to get into the problem here in just a second. They are alienated from that abundant life. Of the hardness of our hearts. Good. All right. You shall love your heart, This is first like, You shall love neighbor as yourself. these all the Good. It's precious up to 40. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, first of all, y'all did great. Um, and answering this question, I know sometimes in a room full of Christians can be like, okay, we got, it's so important for us to be doing this, to, to be what's called producing a, uh, a, a current apologetic for Jesus, why you believe this is valuable. Because these are the questions that people have. And so here's basically what I'm going to say. Before we get to the mission which the mission is go make disciples. We're going to spend all next week talking about that. We've got to answer actually the step before that. Why should a person be a disciple of Jesus? Why? And when we have that agreed upon, we understand it. we believe in it. We have that held within us a value. Values drive a person's mission. Always what you value drives, what you do Our values. Um, First and foremost, Andy, you the word. He's our creator. We were created, designed, built to be in fellowship relationship with God. You were designed to do that. You were designed to connect with something bigger than yourself. That's why we create celebrity in this world. That's why we worship people. Because inside of us is a desire to connect with something we believe to be bigger than us. That's why if LeBron James pulled up right now, we would... Right? Some of you. Cody's like, Nah, he's not cool. (laughs) Tim Cook pulled up. <laughs> but this is what drives human, humanity to say, I want to connect with something I think is bigger than me. Because we were created to have fellowship with something that is divine, something bigger than us. Okay? We were designed to be fully, as Tim said, loved by God. This is why a vast amount of humans are disappointed, because there's no love of a parent. No parents are perfect. Forgive your parents. There is no love of a parent. There is no love of a spouse. Yes, forgive your spouse. Let go of the bitterness. There is no love of a spouse. There is no love of a child. There is no love of a friend that has the a capacity to satisfy your need for a divine father to love you. They just don't have it. And the world has placed... Divine expectations upon people to give them a love they need that they cannot give them. And the world is constantly existing in frustration over that. Constantly. Many of us are. There's only one love that has the capacity to satisfy you. And when that love satisfies you, you then are free to not beg from those people in your life, but actually give to them because you're so full. And when they are full, they'll give to you. Do you see how that's always supposed to work? It was always supposed to work like that. But when we broke our relationship with God off because of our sinfulness, we have now turned to the people in our life and said, you have to fill this God-sized hole in my heart for divine love. Okay? We were meant, designed to be fully loved by God. And therefore, when we are, we return that love back to Him and we give that to others. Remember the scripture Richie just read? What is the greatest commandment, they asked Jesus. What's the most important thing? And he said, the most important thing you were designed to do was love God and love others. And on that thought hangs the whole system. The whole system revolves around your love for God and your love for other people. And what Jesus was doing in that moment was putting them in an impossible situation. He was not saying... You better love them. He was saying, you don't have a love coming into you to ever empower you to do this. You can't. See, those people actually thought they could fulfill the law. They had a lesser than version of religion. And what many of us do, we reduce our responsibility to God to make it seem like we're getting it. And he says, no, listen, who in here has loved God with every fiber of their being? I'm not doing it right now. And so I still need more of a love from God to come into my life. All right. So we were designed to be loved by God. Sin, which we've defined over and over and over again, as self-centered, self-exalting attitude, behavior, lifestyle, has caused us to rebel against the way God designed us and the world to exist, and it separates us from God. This is Marnie's scripture where it says that through the hardness of our heart, which is sin, sin calluses you. It convinces you that living a self-centered life is the quickest way and the best way to joy. Sin calluses your heart. And in that dark and calloused position, the Bible says you are alienated from the life that God wanted you to have. You're alienated from a love that's supposed to come to you to empower a love that you're supposed to give from you. Um, and selfish religion turns, uh, makes us um, cul-de-sacs of grace, you know, where grace just stops with us, and not conduits of grace. We were never meant to live like that. Therefore, why should you be a Christian? Why should you follow Jesus? Why? Jesus has made a way. He has provided a way for your sin to first be forgiven of from the divine creator that you've offended. So that you can return back to have a relationship with him. But he's also, in the process of being a disciple, provided a way for you to have sin actually taken out of your life sin we have to start thinking of it more like cancer and less like the indulgent that's on the list that we're not allowed to partake in that it literally is killing the people we're supposed to be and we toy with it we play with it we want it in we'll, we'll, we'll have it in organs that don't matter in our life right we'll just play with it no no sin is a cancer that spreads and rapidly multiplies And Jesus has made a way for sin to be forgiven with God and eradicated from our life. Why should you be a disciple and then mature as a disciple? Because the fullness of your life depends on it. And you and I can have life again with God is what Jesus says, abundant life. So next week we're going to talk about the mission of the church, which is go make disciples. But before we ever send you out to go make disciples, we got to know, why should you be a disciple? And let me tell you something. When you get this, not, 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 not here, but when the penny drops, so to speak, when, when you get it, you will be so passionate for other people to have what you have, Zoe, that it will be simple. Just go make them. Because of what God has done for you. Okay? Alright, we're at a good place to stop. Anybody have any comments or questions? Okay, thank you. I always need this so I don't have to guess. Yeah, the trays I always hate that when you're up there you're trying to trays in the dark. Sí